Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Catch and Shoot podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot goes well with both red and white and is perfect with a workout of your choice. Our co-hosts are on both coasts and they have all of NBA Nation covered. Adam Stanko in the Bay Area and Noah Kozlov in the Big Apple. Catch and Shoot podcast back this week. Noah Kozlov out here on the East Coast. Adam Stanko out in San Francisco. What's up, Al? How we doing? How we doing? Good. Um, I want to start. We're going to get to... Steve Smith, not the NBA Steve Smith, but future Hall of Fame coach Steve Smith, who's been a Hall of Fame nominee multiple times. He's the legendary head coach at Oak Hill going into his, what I do believe is his 35th year. High school numbers are kind of all over the place. So we'll confirm all of this with Steve on the podcast. He's It's over a thousand wins. I believe it's nine national championships and he's had pros out to the wazoo stackhouse mellow rondo rod strickland kd others so we're going to have him on in a moment and we're going to also going to talk do a little high school basketball talk and how far you go back with high school hoops and today's stars but one thing and, and we always start with something that sometimes it's basketball related sometimes it's not so the andrew luck news broke over the weekend yes and doug gottlieb college basketball analyst Fox Sports Radio host just got skewered on Twitter, okay, about yep. saying that rehab being too hard or coming back from injury being too hard is the most millennial thing ever, okay? Now, do I agree with his assessment? No, no. But here's where I'm going to give Doug credit. Doug did something that most analysts, most radio hosts, wouldn't do and that's say something on twitter that they would also say on the radio so many and i think we may have even talked about this before so many say yeah you know i'd say that on the radio and and i've been on radio with them on nba radio i'd say that on the radio but i won't i wouldn't put it out on twitter doug put it out on twitter and he and he put it out on radio so i do so i give him credit for it what's what's fascinating about what you bring up is this idea, and, and I think it's for the, the, I guess when you think about it, it makes sense, but the reason people will do that all the time is because um, they're so afraid of what that immediate feedback will be on, on Twitter, whereas you're on radio, you're not necessarily getting um, that immediate feedback, right? I mean, you, you're going to, hey, we're getting callers, but that doesn't really impact you, whereas... Right. Whereas if you put it out on Twitter, like Doug was, he- and, and we both know Doug, you know, full disclosure, mm-hmm. but, but Doug was hearing from everyone. I mean, everyone was weighing in, celebrities, athletes, not just in the NFL. Tory, Tory, but- Tory Smith crushed him. 
Torrey Smith crushed him. And well, and well, listen, well, in terms card, of the, the Troy Aikman one, yeah. Yeah, and, and in terms of the take, like I could not be more opposed, not just with this, but with everything that well, I don't want to say everything, but but a lot of what Doug has to say, certainly in regards to, you know, uh pay for play for college athletes or the Olympic model for amateurism for college athletes, uh, all these things that I, I believe some progressive viewpoints, I'm, I, I differ with Doug on, but Doug is the guy that will tell you exactly how he feels for better or worse and takes, and takes a beating for it. But he's also, a lot of times people think that the views are inauthentic. I don't think with Doug they are. And, and I think that's the driving point of your, of your premise. And I think, yeah, that's right. And I think you, you can tell that when somebody puts it out on Twitter and says it on the radio and, and yeah. if you can hear, I don't know, I'm, I'm in my apartment recording and I, they were supposed to be finished with what's going on upstairs. And, and I think they're still sanding these floors. I can't I, hear the yeah. sanding. I can't hear the sanding. So well, if, well, if, someone, if, someone, if someone, it does, it does. And if someone falls through the ceiling, well, that I uh, probably would hear that you would, that you would hear. And it would <laughs> yeah. make for a good, off the rails section. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but right. through the right. through the ceiling. I one one thing about Doug that because I get asked a lot about it. I for a previous podcast I had done a couple of years ago, Doug and I recorded for like two hours. I mean, and and he is a nice guy. That I think he's somewhat misunderstood, but he does tell like it is. And people have asked me many times about different people that I've interacted with in the business, and obviously, same for you. And the story I always tell about Doug that that sort of exemplifies who he is. We were one day playing in a a pickup game at uh, ESPN. So we're so there were, there's the, there was an indoor court that they'd put in, and we hadn't even started really yet. Guys were sort of shooting around. I was lacing up my sneakers, and I was talking to someone. And the night before, Duke had just played Ohio State, and I think. If I recall correctly, and I, I may be misremembering the game itself, but I'm pretty sure like Ohio State like wiped the floor with with Duke, like just crushed them. So, so this guy next to me is is talking to me, and Doug was sort of off to the side. He wasn't really part of what we were doing, but the guy next to me is like, "Hey, what'd you think of that game last night?" I'm like, "Wow, that was that was crazy," which was sort of just instinctual. I just brought it up, like, "Ah, oh, that was that was wild. That was crazy." Mm -hmm. And Doug just immediately comes over. What was so crazy about it? Yeah, Duke's yeah. overrated. Ohio State, the way they've been moving the ball, the way they right. play defense, there, there's nothing that was crazy about that there's, game. That there's was, no, there's no casual conversation. <laughs> and I thought this is this is it. Yeah, like here I am, a throwaway line to somebody as we're lacing the yeah. sneakers. I wasn't even paying attention really to what the guy was saying. It was just sort of making conversation casual, as you say. And yes, that does not exist in Doug's world. He is going to tell you like it is regardless of what you think or if your feelings are going to be hurt or whether it's right or wrong. And I think part of me respects that part. And then there's another side, which is like, Doug, there's a way to brace that kind of thing. You know, you, you could ease into things at times. No, no, there's no easing in. There's no casual conversation. <laughs> there are no throwaway lines with Doug. And, and look, I mean, he got, he got crushed on Twitter and, and it happens, but I am, uh, and we were texting about this too. I'm, I'm pulling back from Twitter about getting involved in any sort of like the daily conversations that I think are nonsense. And so many of them are nonsense yes. as if, so it's like if I overheard something in a bar that was, that was nonsense, like some nonsense sports take, I wouldn't walk over there and 
say, well, come on guys. Like, here's why this is not like, I wouldn't, <laughs> I would want, I'd want to remove myself. I want to, I would want to be as far away from those people as possible. So why would I involve myself on Twitter? Why would I waste my time doing it over on, on the computer when I wouldn't do it in person? That it's funny because a, a couple of weeks ago we had uh, TJ Adeshola who who heads up sports partnerships for uh, for Twitter and he refers to Twitter as a virtual sports bar. So it's funny then that you use that analogy and it's so true. Like if my friends say something ridiculous, like I, I may need to to you know check them a little bit. Uh, and even then I've started to hold back because really why? What what am I? I'm not changing people's opinions. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to get them. Hey, that's not true. Go back and and watch the '93 finals. You know that that's <laughs> yeah. not going to happen. So, you know they're they're not going to be changed. Uh, that you can't change their opinion with stats or, or facts or or watching video. So I think, a lot of times, yeah, I, I need to stay out of it. And I and I've really tried to uh, make an effort to do that as well because you're right. When it's people that I don't even know and they make a comment or even people I don't know well. What's the benefit, really? Yeah, there's no benefit. I, I uh, you, you said I got two more things. You said something about the 93 finals. The 97 finals. So I was going through, I was looking for some old Jordan interview clips for a project that I'm doing. And so, you know, Ahmad Rashad's his guy. And yes. you know, that's why I, I was always told that no one ever turned down an interview with Ahmad because then Ahmad would tell Jordan and nobody wanted to be iced out by Jordan. So everybody, <laughs> everybody always did an interview with, with Ahmad. That's um, side note. I watched a 1999 interview, sit down on NBC with Peter Vesey and, and Penny Hardaway this week that I tweeted out at Noah Kozlov, C-O-S-L-O-V, if you want to check it out. And it was four and a half minutes and Vesey and Penny had an honest conversation for those four and a half minutes. And there was so much cover. There are so many nuggets in that one interview that was, terrific and and i asked peter like how did they come together he said uh, i asked and it happened and i said were you too close beforehand he says respectful not boys hmm. you know in these days it's like oh that's oh. his guy that's his boy that's his boy that's his boy but anyway the media gets crushed and, and oftentimes rightfully so for non-questions but this is what what, what proves the point is that this has been going on forever ahmad after i forget what game it was at, uh, of the finals, asked Jordan four questions post game. The first three were non questions. It was just like Ahmad, Ahmad making a statement, and then Jordan talking. Ahmad Rashad, everybody's favorite. Ahmad asking non questions. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. All right, I, one more thing. I, wait, 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 before you get okay. to your one more thing, I just have to yeah. ask you during that that Vessi Penny uh, interview. Did did. Uh, did Penny say that they were one of the top duos of all time? Him and no, Shaq, no, the no, top five no, duos. That's funny. Was that reference? That's funny. No, um, that's funny. Uh, but then I also watched the famous Carl Malone interview with uh, with Vessi after they lost the, I think I, I guess it, maybe it was when they lost the '98 Finals, and uh, and and it was basically Vessi trying to get it punched by Carl Malone because he kept saying, "So you didn't." play up to your expectations or like obviously this didn't go the way you wanted to go and he and and Carl Malone saying well the hell with you and the hell with everybody and I played hard <laughs> so, uh, I, I, I love that, that stuff so, so the other stuff. thing the other thing was uh we're recording this on Monday morning and I uh and so I get the athletic emails and notification or not on my phone but uh like the weekly emails or and, sure. I, and I saw I saw Richard Deitch's Twitter feed and 
it was and like the headline was why Gus Johnson should be back calling NBA games. And I'm like, wait, what the? F- wait a second. I'm trying to call NBA games, and I'm working my tail off to do this. And and now we've got it was a four thousand word Q and A with Gus Johnson, and three of the early questions were about Richard, like making a plea to the Nets as much as he loves their broadcast team that that would be such a great fit for five or ten games. Come on, man! Like he doesn't. Gus doesn't need the NBA games and the NBA games don't need Gus. Gus's inventory is already pretty yeah, uh, like substantial. How, like how, how, much, how much harder did he want to make this? Yeah, exactly. Plus, Ian Eagle. We Ian Eagle, the guest on this week's follow-up podcast. The follow-up. That's my other podcast. It's 20 minutes with Ian Eagle, and he was terrific. Download, subscribe, rate, review, all of it. Yes. Check yeah. out the follow-up. Uh, all right, so before we get to some high school stories and also Steve Smith, make sure you check out the rest of all the podcasts on the Pure Hoops Media Network, the Mike Wise Show, Bucket Boards and Blocks with Monica McNutt, and the Pure Hoops Podcast with Eric Newman, NBA champion BJ Armstrong. So again, before we get to Steve Smith, let's lay out the spread. Time to hit the spread. So since we have Oak Hill's fame coach Steve Smith on, you go way back with scouting high school basketball players. So again, I want you to give the you know forty five second story of how that started, Adam, and then get into a one of those memorable high school stories. Yeah. So uh, I, I, as I mentioned on the podcast multiple times, I used to work for a high school sports show, and you know this is uh, early two thousands, and we'd go all over the you know, all over the country, basically getting video of kids from, you know, different cities. And, and really we were collecting all this crazy video of guys and it wasn't just basketball. It was, it was football and, and other sports as well. Um, but really guys in high school that, you know, were, were making a name for themselves on the national scene, but people hadn't really seen video of because we hadn't hit the social media age yet. I mean, there was some of it, but really not to the extent that, that we were sort of pulling off. And when that show ended, uh, I was trying to figure out what my next step was going to be. And I realized that there was a need for video uh, for NBA and college teams, especially for the NBA guys, because this was when there was this prep to pros craze that was taking place. And so NBA teams wanted video. So we'd go shoot basketball tournaments. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, these schools and these NBA teams, I'd be contacting them or they'd contact me and they'd want video of guys. And I've said before how the Spurs were at the forefront of that, like, oh, Gabe Pruitt is thinking about putting his name out. A kid from Westchester, uh, California, like he's thinking about putting his name in the draft. You know, you guys have video of him and we would. And so, yeah, so we shot a lot of tournaments and a lot of really great players during the early 2000s when this was huge. And we we'd hear from a lot of coaches and things. And I was basically as a freelance job, just shooting this video and we were selling it to him. And so, uh, you know, Dwight Howard's in the news this week. Mm -hmm. And one of the tournaments that I was at was a tournament called slam dunk to the beach in Lewis, Delaware. It was this smaller high school gym and they just had tons and tons of games. Uh, it was like a Christmas time tournament. It was during the winter time and it, it was freezing cold at the beach in, in Delaware. It was slammed onto the beach, but it wasn't, you know, we think of as a, as a vacation area. And so 
all these top high school teams in the country would come and play. I saw so many great players there. And we were there, you know, shooting video of, you know, game after game after game. It was just nonstop in one gym. And they just played, you know, eight in the morning till midnight, basically. And uh, and one of the team, uh, this guy had come over to me at that time. These two guys came over to me and they they started talking to me and looking at me. And they're like, I think he's our guy. And and um, one, this dude's a big dude, like um and and they, both of the guys were pretty big and they're like i think he's our guy this is our guy I'm like, what are you guys talking about and they're like we think we have a proposition for you we're going to come by tomorrow if you're still around I, they said we're going to talk it over i said okay so next day i'm there shooting again well my guy was shooting and i was i was selling the stuff they come up to me and i'm talking to them about the games again and players and they're like here's the deal goes i'm roosevelt barnes who used to play for the Detroit Lions, but uh, he was now an NFL agent. And he represented a bunch of guys that were big-time players. So Ray Lewis, um, Deion Sanders, like a lot of people refer to him as like the God Squad, all the guys that were heavily into, you know, the, this religious sect. Like like he he was representing these guys. And so it was a really Danny, nice guy. And Danny Chase? Danny Chase. Um, Just the only curious guy. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, no, this, this, well, that was the thing. It was all football players yeah. at the time that he was representing. And so basically what his proposition to me was that they were trying to get Dwight Howard because Dwight Howard was um, a senior and was going to be the presumptive number one or number two pick in the NBA draft. This, you know, him and Emeka Okafor were going to battle for it. And they realized that he was a high school player. He was a high school sensation. And if they were able to get Dwight Howard, then all of a sudden um, that, that would put them on the map as a basketball agency. So they were transitioning. They already had all these huge clients. So they had this whole plan of attack for how they were going to get Dwight Howard. But they hadn't really talked to him yet. And so what they asked me to do was that they were going to make a pit. They were going to have a huge pitch meeting for Dwight Howard to sell them as, as their agent. And so they asked me and, and my camera guy if we would go around the country and shoot video of Dwight Howard playing in games so that they could put together this demo tape to show at the pitch meeting. So... Okay. We, we did it. And so we, he was playing for Southwest uh, Atlanta Christian at the time. Javaris Crittenden was his uh, point guard. Um, and we went down, we saw, which was crazy in itself. We saw games down in Atlanta in their gym. And then they played at Georgia Tech um, against Randolph Morris, who ended up going to Kentucky, if you remember mm -hmm. Randolph Morris. Sure. Um, so Dwight Howard was such uh, – to explain how good people he, – he was, too. He would bring the ball up for that team. He'd get rebounds, bring the ball up, had this ability as a, as a point guard. I mean, his skill set was really good. I know people knock him for not having much of a post game. But in terms of his pure athletic ability and some of his just basketball skill, his ability to handle it and pass it, was so impressive. And watch this guy, and he's always smiling and everything. And you could just tell he had star written all over him, this young kid, and, and played hard and was in insane shape. And so anyhow, we go and, and shoot stuff in Atlanta. And then my camera guy went and shot him playing in California. And we put together 
uh, all this video so that they could use it in their pitch meeting, which in their pitch meeting, they also had, they had hired a rapper to write a rap song about Dwight Howard. This incredible, incredible thing that you, I got a chance to see behind the scenes of like what goes through with an, with an agent, all the stops that they'll pull out. And again, this is early 2000s. We're talking like 2003 that, all the stops that they would go through in order to get this guy, but they knew how valuable he was to them. And again, they didn't want to necessarily be the ones to, you know, talking to him, but they made sure that Dwight saw them at the games that they were at. It was Roosevelt and, and his partner at the time. So anyhow, they go through this whole process. They pay us to do the video and all this stuff. A few weeks pass, they're supposed to have the meeting. I reach out to them and say, hey, how did the meeting go? And they say, uh, sort of fell through. I go, what do you mean? Oh. They go, we never got a chance to have the meeting. I go, what do you mean you never oh. got a chance to have the meeting? They go, well, it turns out that Dwight's uncle was the prosecuting district attorney in the Ray Lewis murder oh, case. Shit. So by dumb luck, oh, like no. there was no chance that we could end up signing this kid. So we ended up not being able to have this meeting. Oh, it was no. incredible. So the reason that Dwight Howard was not represented by this agency, which could have made a major stamp on what was going on in, in NBA uh, agent oh, circles, no. was just because Dwight's uncle was was uh, part of the DA's office that that was trying to prosecute uh, Ray Lewis oh, for his murder no. in, in Atlanta. Yeah, because that took alleged, place in alleged, Atlanta alleged, in Buckhead. Alleged, alleged. Uh, it, it, the, the incident, <laughs> no, 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 what I was going to say was the incident took place there. Ray Lewis's involvement was, Dude, yeah. was alleged. That's, that's what wow. I was getting to. That is something. There you go. That's something. And he was, I mean, Dwight, Dwight is still a monster. And someone actually put out on Twitter, it was pretty funny, like a string of like the past four years of reports around this time um, in the past four years that Dwight's lost 20, 25 pounds. <laughs> and, just, and it's the same headline from the past like four or five years. <laughs> uh, but I mean, but Dwight is, you know, a three-time defensive player of the year. I mean, there's, there's always the, is Dwight Howard a Hall of Famer? Like, absolutely, he's a Hall of Famer. I mean, Dwight's three-time defensive player of the year. is an all-time, eight-time All-NBA guy. Um, yeah, he's a lock. He's all-star, uh, all-star eight times. Oh, yeah, of course he's a lock. His first game back in Atlanta, I'm looking at his game log, was his 11th game that season, his rookie year. And he went for 24-9 and nine on 8 of 11 from the floor. He actually went 8 of 12 from the line, and he was a plus 12 in an 18 point win and he played 41 minutes his first in his first time back in Atlanta his 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 debut was against Milwaukee and you know he's what 19 years old played 38 minutes 6 of 11 12 points 10 boards 4 blocks 3 steals <laughs> he was a monster he was a monster still still nothing like Shaq's numbers when when Shaq oh. started but i mean when you look through his game log from his rookie year as a teenager i'm seeing Back-to-back 2016, 2015, 11 and 11 games. There's a 17 and 20 game. There's a 29 and 12 game. He's a 14 and 15 and seven block game. Boy, but he but he never developed anything else, and that was always the problem. I mean, yeah, he, he he was really good at what he did, and then he just never evolved. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And and the big one, 
that you mentioned is teenager. And and if you listen to our last podcast with Bo Outlaw, he said that, you know, he almost wishes he could do more. It was it was really interesting to hear him talk about the early years of Dwight. I mean, a twelve and ten guy is playing starting eighty-two games as a nineteen year old and, mm-hmm. and Bo Outlaw said he just wishes he could have gotten to him and, and sort of changed the trajectory of, of Dwight's career. But at the end of the day, yeah, I, I, I'd suggest people going back and listening to that Yeah, because he did say we all tried. He just had too many other people in his ear. So when he, when he wasn't in their locker room, he said, we, we had nothing. We, we couldn't get through to him once he left the locker room. Yeah. And it's yeah. wild to think what this guy could have done considering he's a hall of famer in spite of that. Yeah. And also it's, you know, he came into the league as as you said, you know, as, as that agency was recruiting him, uh, he came in as the devout Christian, uh, no sex before marriage, um, you know, like like a like a like a choir boy, basically, right? That was that was his image. Yes, coming coming in, and and it was the Mecca Okafor at the top, who was who was uh, as a scholar athlete at UConn, and uh, so it was almost like can't miss in terms of off the court stuff with either yes. one of those guys, and then. Dwight had a whole bunch of kids with a whole bunch of women pretty quickly. Yeah, there's some um, hypocrisy kind of, there in the whole thing. Yeah, and that kind of went by the wayside. All right, so with all that said, get to the Hall of Fame nominee, the legendary head coach at Oak Hill, Steve Smith. Joined now by the Hall of Fame nominee, he's Steve Smith, going into his 35th year, correct? 35th year? 35th year. 35th year is the head coach at famed Oak Hill Academy in Mouth of Wilson, Virginia, nine-time national champion. His career record, 1,151 and 77. 35 NBA players have come out of Oak Hill under Steve Smith, 33 McDonald's All-Americans. And Coach, Adam and I were just talking about Dwight Howard being back in the league. Did you try to recruit Dwight? Well, we had Josh Smith, who was on the same AAU team, the Atlanta Celtics. Uh, They had a Unbelievable AAU team that year. They also had, uh, I'm trying to remember the big kid that went to Kentucky. They had they had three big timers on that team. Randolph and, Morris. Yeah, Randolph Morris. And uh, I wouldn't say I recruited him, but his name probably came up. And uh, but he didn't matriculate this way. He stayed in Atlanta, and uh, I think he went to a private Christian school there. And but Josh Smith came that that year. They were all in the same class. Who was the last kid that you actually really had to recruit? Uh, honestly, I mean, I can't think of a guy that, like, I just, we don't do what some of these schools do where they just follow them around and they, they look like, I go to these AAU events to see my players that I know are coming, and I watch these other guys, and I'm like, they're just sitting in the end zone. They got their shirts on like the college coaches, and I'm like, this is crazy. If I had to do that, I'd quit. <laughs> but <laughs> luckily we have a, we have a tradition, and – uh, for a long time, a long-standing one that don't have to do that. But now, you know, I do obviously have to follow up on kids when they contact us because I didn't have to 20 years ago. They were either going to stay home or come here. Now they're getting bombarded by all these other schools, and uh, and some of them aren't schools, but some are schools. And so you have to do a little bit of obviously work to get kids now. But uh, they move so much; it's it's uh, amazing. You look at the top hundred list of whatever class, it doesn't matter if it's 2022, 2021, whatever class, it's odd when you see a kid in the same school for four years. They're all moving mm-hmm. around, and uh, some move three and four times. And um, I've been lucky enough when they come here, they usually stay here, and they don't do that. But 
it's really changed a lot, you know, in the last, especially the last five to 10 years. So that's, that's the current landscape coach. Let's, let's take it back to when you were first starting yeah. out at Oak Hill. I mean, August of, of 83, you're a bank cashier and you, yeah. and you interview for a job as biology teacher and assistant coach at, at Oak Hill. How would you explain what, what Oak Hill was like at the time and what you thought you were walking into? Yeah, I got a call from uh, Larry Davis. Um, you may know Larry, you may not. Uh, Larry coached mm-hmm. it, uh, here for two years. Then he was at Delaware and he was at Furman. He was head coach at Furman. He was assistant at Minnesota when he went to the Final Four. He was at Wake. Uh, he was at Cincinnati with Mick Cronin for years. So he was the coach, and he and I went to college together. So he called and said, hey, we got an opening. I need an assistant, blah, blah, blah. So, And I just got called in like a Monday morning. I just won a golf tournament on behalf of the bank, and I just got called in for a raise, and I knew I got a raise because I won the golf tournament. It had nothing to do with my performance. <laughs> <laughs> I played with the two vice presidents of the bank. We won the tournament, and I was the low guy. They were like, yo, we got to move this guy up. So <laughs> I, so when Larry calls me, I'm like, Larry, I don't know. I just got a raise. I got a new job. I'm moving in the loan department. I'm moving upstairs. You know, I'm getting out of this vault and all this. And But I but I always wanted to coach, and uh, so I said, I'll tell you what. I'll come down and look. So I jump in the car. I drive six hours the wrong way, but I get here and uh, I interview the first day of school. So they're desperate. They need somebody. And um, my wife had a baby the day before my son was born. So I could, I said, look, I can't come right now, but I said, I need to go home and talk to my wife, family, whatever. When I pulled on campus, I'd never been here. Obviously it's, it's in the Blue Ridge mountains. Um, and it's very isolated, but, you know, and I didn't get a chance to look around at the area. It's uh, it's a great place to live. It's beautiful. Um, I got a log cabin now, sits on a ridge, and I can I've got a view of you can't believe the mountain view out my front door. But I didn't see all that when I came down here. All I saw was this little school, tucked in these trees, and on Highway 58 in the middle of Appalachia. And I was like, I don't know about this. And my wife, she didn't get to come with me. Obviously, she had the baby. So, uh, long story short, I go home. I talk to her. I keep calling. We keep negotiating and you know I'm the way they did it here back then there was not a pay scale you negotiate with the president what you needed so and I'd heard that and he was a basketball guy so I I tried to up the ante and uh as much as you could in 1983 and anyway you got to where I said okay I can do this so I ended up coming and, and I was assistant for two years and uh I mean we had a gym with a tile floor we probably had three division one players that year First couple of years, um, that was in '83. That the president was Robert Eisler. He started this program in. They had basketball, but started the program on a national stage, like in the late '70s, early '80s, just before I came. And um, you know, he would take anybody if they could play. They were big time players. It didn't matter what their grades were. A lot has changed. Obviously, we are so selective now compared to that, but. Um, it's totally different. Um, the campus looks different. Uh, to me, the surroundings are different. I love it here. You know, my golf course and my house and everything is right here. And I've been here, obviously, as you said, 35 years. Two years, I've been here 37 years, all told. Could you teach biology today? I don't. <laughs> I taught biology for seven years. No, um, no, no. Could you Could you teach it today? That's a good question. Uh <laughs> I taught biology. I tried to stay one day ahead of the students, so they, they thought I knew what I was doing. And uh, <laughs> they're a little smarter now, so I don't know if I could. 
<laughs> All right. So, so the the first the first big guy that that really you know, that went up into the NBA was Rod Strickland. How did yeah. you get How did you get Rod from the projects to Mouth of Wilson, Virginia? Yeah, he went to Truman High School. Uh, they won a state championship. His high school coach was Steve Lapis. You know who he is. Uh-huh. And of course. Lap, I think Lap made the first call down here. And then the AU coach, well, AU, probably the GM. He wasn't, I don't know if he was the coach. Lou, Del, Lou Delmeda was with the Gauchos. Uh, he called. And uh, back then, when the kids in New York, when they left New York, they came to Oak Hill. I mean, they, that's basically where they went. They came to Oak Hill. There was a few other places they might go, but the best players wanted to come here. They didn't have all these options that they have today. Um, he was coming for academics to get out of the city. And uh, so he, he came. Uh, he actually came a week late. And uh, it's a good story on Rod because when he walked in the gym, we would not seen him. This is 1984. Uh, and, um, you know, there's no – there's no internet. There's no uh, cell phone. There's no, you know, you're not looking at film and all that. Um, so we, all we went on was hearsay, how good he was supposed to be. And when he showed up, obviously our team was already here for a week, and we were working out that night. And there was probably 10 coaches in the gym. And Frank Marino, who's a longtime New Yorker, five-star guy, was an assistant at Detroit, was here. I remember Frank was here that night. And we give him a roster, and he's watching the team. And, he's, and we said, we got another one coming tonight. And we told him who it was. We said, Rod Strickland. He goes, Rod Strickland from New York? I said, yeah. He goes, Coach, when he walks in this gym, he will own this gym. I go, no way. Because we had good players. And we had a point guard. I felt bad for the kid after about 20 minutes. But we had a point guard who we thought was a point guard who ended up going to Cincinnati. I mean, he was a good player. But when Rod walked in, he, he did own the gym. And – that poor guy couldn't didn't play a minute all year. He played his senior year and was our starting point guard, but uh, you know he came here thinking he was our guy. But we didn't know. Like I said, we didn't know how good Rod was, and you know that's how Rod got here through his AU coach and his high school coach. How do you explain like just how good he was seeing Rod Strickland at that time? He's probably we've had counting Cole unless something happens where he's injured, Cole's going to play in the NBA. He would be the 10th point guard that played at Oak Hill that went on to college and then played in the NBA, 10. I still think Rod's better than all of them. Um, he was mm-hmm. that good, and uh, he just had an unbelievable feel for the game. He could get wherever he wanted to with the ball, I mean, anywhere he wanted to. Um, I remember a game late in the year where we were playing uh, – Flint Hill. Flint Hill back then was really good. Flint Hill was top five in the country when we played them. They had Dennis Scott and Aaron Bain, a bunch of a bunch of guys, and uh, we're playing them up there in D.C. And game was tied. I can tell you the score. No, I don't think I'm good with numbers, but I'm good with stats. And I'm good with stats and scores. So I can tell you scores from every game. And uh, it was 65 all with about two minutes to go. We diagram a bunch of stuff in the t- in the huddle. We come out of the huddle, I get Rod to the size of the rock. Come here. Forget everything I just said. Forget everything we talked about. <laughs> just take it and take the game over. He scored 10 straight points. We won the game. They never two scored. minutes? Yeah, two minutes. He scored 10 straight points. We won the game 75-65. And they were, I think they had one loss and were ranked two or three in the country. And, uh, I mean, you couldn't guard that guy. He was unguardable. I mean, he was, in high school, you could not guard him one-on-one. 
So if they're playing you man to man, you spread the court. If you had him now, if I had him now and running dribble drive or whatever, uh, you couldn't guard the guy. It's impossible. I mean, he's just – and he looked like he was playing in slow motion. You know, he showed no emotion. Uh, he wasn't a jet up and down the floor. But when he had the ball in his hands, he was actually quicker than when he didn't have the ball in his hands. And he, he honestly could go wherever he wanted to go. I heard him, I heard Michael Jordan speak at a five-star camp years ago. I mean, it would be 25, 30 years ago when he was in his prime. And one of the he had a, was doing a Q&A, one of the kids asked him, who's the toughest guy for you to guard? He said Rod Strickland. Now, that's Michael mm. Jordan. So yeah. that tells you, you know, most people don't know that about Rod. I mean, you talk to some people about Rod, they're like, who's Rod Strickland? But he was, I mean, he was phenomenal. Uh, went to DePaul, obviously, and back then DePaul was like America's team. They were on WGN that, when that was a big deal. And, uh, right. I mean, they were number one in the country one year when he was there. And, uh, you know, he, he got his way a little bit. He'll tell you he was immature some and could have been better. But, um, I mean, still probably top 10, 15 in the NBA in history in assists. Uh, mm-hmm. And maybe the only guy ever had – he averaged 20 and 10 at the All-Star break, didn't make the All-Star team. So, I don't know. <laughs> I never – it was it was not hard to coach. Um, but I've had a lot of kids on down the line, the coach will say, was he hard to coach? Because they'll see him in the pros or whatever. I said, not when he was in high school because he didn't know how good he was, you know. And he thought I could so, coach. So, it all worked yeah, out. So, right. So, so who who are some of those guys that you get asked about a lot? Well, I had John Rondo. Yep. You know, they'll go, how hard was he to coach? I go, honest to goodness. He was about as easy to coach as you can get because he, he did whatever I told him. He was quiet. He was from Kentucky. He was about the 85th-ranked high school player in the country starting his senior year. He had no earthly idea how good he was. And I saw him in one week and going, if there's somebody better than this guy at, at the point position, I'd like to see him. And because uh, I had the kid, uh, wow, I need to remember his name. He's from Florida. He was the second-ranked point guard in the class, and he wanted to come. And his dad couldn't believe that I wouldn't take him because I was taking Ray John Rondo over him. He was the kid that missed the three free throws at Memphis. Um, oh, Washington. Chris Roberts. No, Dwayne Washington. Dwayne Washington. And yeah. uh, I said, look, I told his dad, I said, look, I'm not taking two players that I think are that good at the same position, especially the point position. That's just not going to be happy. Somebody's going home. So why do it? I said, Ray John Rondo's my point guard. He's going to be my point guard. And uh, so, anyway, I get to the McDonald's game that year. Of course, they both make the McDonald's game. Rajon goes from 85th and the 15th-ranked point guard to making the McDonald's game. That doesn't happen very often mm-hmm. because it's usually picked. Those guys are usually – their rep comes from, you know, prior to yes. their senior year. But he blew up that much. We were 44-0 and national champs and all that. And everybody saw him and saw how good he was. Um, and then uh, he ends up. You know, I go to the game. I'm sitting in the second row on the aisle. The third row on the aisle behind me is Washington's dad. <laughs> and he taps me on the shoulder, and he says something like, yeah, he's better than I thought. I said, I told you. <laughs> <laughs> told you how good he was. You didn't believe me. <laughs> he was the best player in the game. I mean, he was all the – I had Josh Smith that year, and all the pro scouts would come because that, that year you could come out. They would all come to see Josh because they knew Josh wasn't going to college. And they all left telling me that your best player is Rajon Rondo, not Josh Smith. I go, I know. I could have told you that before you got here. So, I mean, it was not that Josh could play. It was Rajon was that good. So, Rajon's the one everybody thinks was – I guess he's a little stubborn. The reason he's 
he's looked at is because he's really, really smart. And when a coach says we're going to run this, he, he probably is going to say, look, coach, this is, I think we need to run this play. I think this guy needs to get a shot. I think I need to do, I mean, he's that smart on the floor. And, of course, in high school he, he was smart, but not not quite the same feel that he has now. But, um, I mean, he'd be a great coach. I mean, and he's been – those guys that coach now that, that, that gave me trouble before, I used to go, remember, remember the headaches you gave me in high school? Now you're a coach. See, you're going to get paid back. <laughs> you're all getting paid back. But, uh, I mean, Ray John one comes to mind because everybody just thinks he's not coachable. And uh, – he was very, very coachable in the one I had him. And, uh, you know, I just, you know, there's been a few others I can't think off the top of my head, but Ray John pops up and, uh, you know, Brandon Jennings, maybe people think he's not coachable. He's he's very coachable. I mean, he and I have the best relationship with any player I've ever coached probably. Uh, we're very close even to this day. And uh, we talk all the time. And he comes up here and works out still from California and stays in the cabin for a week and works out in our gym in the springs and plays pick up with our guys and, uh, the guys are a little different. They just see them on TV or a sports center, and people don't know them, you know. When sure. you guys work with them all the time and have coached them or played with them, you know, we, we know those guys a little better than most people. Coach, before you move on, on the Rondo topic, um, I've read that you have a, a great story about Rondo's recruitment to oh, Kentucky yeah. by Tubby Smith. It involves several guys. Um when he got here in the fall, of course, like I said, he wasn't rated that highly. He had two offers in November. He was offered by Clemson and NC Charlotte. Wow. That's it. Clemson and NC Charlotte. So uh, he didn't want to go to either one. I mean, that, I'm talking visits. He was only offered those two visits, and they both offered him a scholarship, obviously. So he comes in my office and says, Coach, I'm not going to sign early. I go, that's fine. I said, you shouldn't sign early because I know how good you are, and you're going to blow up. And you're going to get – I can't tell you who's going to recruit you, but you're going to have several offers, trust me. So he waits. And it's still a little slow. You know, it's into December. And um, he comes in and sits down, and he says um, – he's very much a home guy. He's from Louisville, Kentucky. He said, Coach, I want to go to school nowhere, no more than three or four hours from home. I said, well, where would you go? So he gives me a list of Illinois. Indiana, Cincinnati, Kentucky. Louisville was recruiting him, but they took um, Telfair. They took Telfair, and Patino still – he did have that offer, but Rajon had enough of an ego that he's like, I'm not – I'm second fiddle, and I'm from Louisville, and he knew I was going to go there, and he took Telfair. I'm not going. And Patino wanted to take them both, and, but he said no. So they're out. So that leaves Kentucky, Cincinnati, Indiana, Illinois. But he told me, I'll go to any of those four schools that they offer me, any of them. Well, I don't pick up the phone and call coaches in this recruiting deal. I mean, when you do that, they usually think your guy can't play or he's got a problem. <laughs> you know, um, I told Rajon, that's not how it works. But I said, for you, Rajon, I know all these coaches, so I'll call them. So I call. I, I don't remember who I called first, but I do remember calling Mike Davis in Indiana. I do remember calling Hugs in Cincinnati, uh, Tubby, and uh, who's the other one? Oh, Illinois was um, Weber. So Weber, the, Illinois is interested. So they set up a visit. The others don't want to bring him in for whatever reason. They're like, a couple of them said he wasn't good enough. A couple of them said he can't shoot, whatever. And I said, well, I'm just telling you, 
he can play. He goes He's, I think he visited Illinois. He was supposed to be around. He was doing our Christmas break. I'm trying to remember if he did or he didn't. I'm pretty sure he went there. And they, I think they really thought they were going to get him. Uh, he comes to me like when the second semester starts in January. He says, Coach, I would die to go to Kentucky. I said, well, Rajon, they're not going to recruit you. I called him. I think I called him in November and December. I said, I've called him twice. I don't think they're going to recruit you. So I said, but I'll, I'll call one more time. So I called Scott Rajot, the assistant at the time. I want to tell his assistant. I said, Scott, this kid is really, really, really good. He's vastly improved from whenever you tell me throwing last. And I'm telling you, he's better than anybody you got. And, uh, of course, they didn't believe me. But Scott Scott agreed. He goes, I really like him. He goes, he goes uh, let me talk to Tubby. So he gets Tubby to call me. I talk to Tubby. And Tubby doesn't agree with me, but he tells he does say this. He goes, All right, we play Tennessee in Knoxville. Uh I think it was a Tuesday night. Tuesday night and we're two hours and a half from Knoxville. And I said, I will practice in the afternoon, I'll bring him the game. How's that? He goes, All right, you bring him the game. He goes, If we win, I'll come to your practice on Wednesday. If we don't win, he goes, I'm not I'm not gonna be there because I gotta work with my team. I understand, blah blah blah. So we go to the game. They win the game by two points. And uh, so the next day we're practicing. About 45 minutes into practice, Tubby walks in. He's hmm. late. He, so I just keep coaching the team. I don't walk over and say anything to him. For, so I'm in practice for like probably 30 minutes. We take a water break. I walk over there. And I say, Coach, how are you? Welcome to campus, blah, blah, blah. He'd been here 100 times, but, you know, I hadn't seen him in a while. And he, he takes me to the side and he goes, Coach, I didn't know he was that good. <laughs> I told you how good he was. I said, I told you he's – trust me, you're not going to get anybody better than he is. And uh, so he ends up visiting like that weekend, and he commits right away. And, I mean, if I don't call him, if they don't win that game in Knoxville, he don't go – he's not a, he's not a Kentucky. Uh, he probably ends up in Illinois or somewhere, but that's how he got to Kentucky. And uh, they got him. You know how they re- – you'll recruit a kid for – you recruit a kid like Ray John Rondo for a year and not get him sometimes. They made one visit, probably called his family once, and he committed. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. Yeah. Um, that's how recruiting works sometimes. Yeah, I'd say. I'd say. Uh, speaking of the uh, guys coming on campus, do you want – and I want to get back to you know, some of the individual player stories. Do you want NBA scouts back in high school gyms? It doesn't bother me. Uh, I want the rule back in where and I think it's ridiculous for some of these kids to go to college. And it's only a – I mean, everybody goes, oh, there's going to be all these kids going. No, it's not. It's like four or five kids. The, top, the guy that's ranked 15th in the country is not going to go to the NBA. If he does, he's right. crazy. He's not going to make it. Uh, now, if they go and they do this – if they beef up the uh, pay scale and the – I guess, what is it now? Is it still the yeah. League. yeah. If they beef that up and give them a hundred thousand dollars or whatever, yeah, kids are gonna do that and some kids are gonna do that and not go to college. Um but things have changed so much. I mean, you want guys that want to go to college to go to college. You want guys that don't want to go, they shouldn't have to go. And if they're gonna go for a year, it's a farce. I mean, they go and take six hours in the fall and they're eligible for the year. And they don't go to class the second semester. Some of them do, depends on the coach you're playing for. Mm-hmm. They say they do, but you know, I've had coaches say, oh, my God, I'll make my guy go to class. No, I know you're kidding. He's not going to class because my kid's <laughs> talking to your kid, and your kid's not going to school. I know he's not. 
but it sounds good. But I mean, it's a farce. It's, I mean, they might as well, they might as well go and get paid, you know, and, and learn from an NBA coach or whether it's a G leg or whatever it is. But if you're good enough, um, and it's just going to be a select few. It's not going to be a mass exodus of kids not going. Now, it might be years from now. I don't know if things change. You start handing out $100,000 to these kids, yeah, a lot of them are not going to go to college. $100,000 to some of these kids is a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, you, I mean, you, people don't understand where they're from and uh, and their parents, you know, where they're from. So, it, I mean, it's just – but I think the rule should – it either should be they could come out or they got to go two years, you know, that – you got to do the one year thing is a complete joke. Um, and then you got, you know, I mean, it's just hard on. I know some coaches choose to do it that way. You know, Kentucky's doing it and Duke's been doing it. And I mean, a lot of schools would do it if they could do it. You're not going to not take a one year guy. You know, they're always like, I can't believe Coach K would do that. Of course he, why would you not take the best player right. in the country? Exactly. If it's one year, it's one year. I've been doing it for 35 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could coach it for one year. You, you got you got several months to make them into a you know a, a team that you can, and then you got seven months till the tournament comes around. Um, it's happened. I mean, Kentucky's won it with one and done. Duke's won it, um, but you know it's just I mean it's just the rules had to be changed. I guess twenty twenty two might be the what I'm hearing the first class yeah. that can come out. Um, I'm sure it'll be it's going to be revamped. Not going to be like it used to be, but. Uh, It'll be interesting when it's all said and done. I just hadn't followed it that closely, uh, but I—that's what I've heard. Like 2022, they can come out. So, well, you know, the ones are good enough. I mean, I've had several probably that would have. I've had two that did. I had Sagana Jop uh, in 2001 or two. He went seventh pick, eighth pick to the Cavs, and then Josh Smith was the 17th pick. That was in uh, 2004. So. But I'm thinking of the guys that I've had, you know, like Jerry Stackhouse was a full-grown man in high school. I'm thinking of uh, whether they're ready or not, you know, Ron Mercer in 1995. Um, I mean, all those – I've had some players that probably could do it. Um, well, you'd, you'd, but KD, you'd, KD just, you'd KD just junior year, and then he was one and yeah, done at Texas. Yeah, yeah. And he, the year he went was good for him because he's – of course, he's still slight, you know, body size. He was very thin in high school. Um, he was like 6'9". Oh, man, I don't know what he weighed. I'd say 170, 175. He was really thin. So, you know, another – a year at Texas was good for him. Um, Mello could have – Mello could have gone when he was here. He was the uh, – everybody I talked to said top 10 pick. So I told him. I said – because he asked me, what, what are they saying? I go, you're top 10 now. And he said, well, if I get a test score coach, I told my mother I'm going to college. And I don't know that many in his family had gone or if anybody had gone. And he, the day he got his test score, I called him in. It was like April. And I said, Carmelo, you got you got a qualifying test score with your grades. And he goes, he ran down the hall. He was screaming, telling everybody what he got. <laughs> he never mentioned going to the NBA again. Wow. And he could have been – he would have definitely been a lottery pick. But he went to Syracuse, won a national championship. Had that big smile every time he was interviewed, and made, you know, big bucks from endorsements, which he would not have got straight out of high school. He would have got endorsement money, but not the same endorsement deal he got from Nike. Because um, I know what his deal was. I know what he got when he left Syracuse from Nike, and he wouldn't have got that out of high school. 
he would have, and he was a third pick, so he would have bumped up a little money wise as far as let's say he goes seven or eight out of high school and he goes three out of college, but he made a lot of money on endorsements and uh, anyone in national championship, you know, you never can right. replace that. What what could Carmelo do right now or say right now to put him on an NBA roster? I don't know. I mean, I don't. He, he Mel's a great guy, so I don't know if he's misread or what. I don't know what the problem is. Are you telling me you got fifteen guys on your roster better than Carmelo Anthony? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that? yeah, probably, probably not. Probably not. Well, I know he's older, and you take you take young guys and say, ah, oh, let's let's go with the younger guy. He's not a negative influence on your team. I mean, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. When you saw him on the Olympic team. He's probably the best Olympic teammate they had for four Olympics, and uh, he was probably one of the better players. When he played on a team like that with really good players, well, he was good. I mean, he was big time. And then uh, he's had to carry teams in the NBA. He's been on teams that weren't that good. Um, so he gets blamed for everything. And I understand if you're the guy, you know, I mean, I'm a coach. If something went wrong last year, I – Cole Anthony was in my office. I was talking to Cole Anthony. You know, I understand that goes with the territory, and you're the guy on your team. But to get blamed for everything, if your team loses, um, you know, <laughs> I mean, the, the morale of the team from how the team plays, they blame me for everything. So I, that's kind of unfair because um, I know him, and I know, I mean, he's a great guy, and he wants to win. And late, in his, especially this late in his career, I mean, I would think. He just wants to be on a team and help a team and try to win games. He's not going to be a, a guy that tears a team down or hurts a team or takes a guy's spot that maybe – when you bring these young guys in there that aren't that good, they're not going to last anyway. They play two years and they're out. I've had many guys on my – that played for me here that played two years in the league and they were gone. Um, and they were decent players, but they're not great players. Like Carmelo's a great mm-hmm. player. He's a Hall of Famer. Um, so I don't know what he'd have to do. I mean, I'm not in an NBA circle. I'm my high school coach – 37 years so um you need to get what is that is that a recruit calling you hey coach can i come to a kill it might be i don't know <laughs> if you call me a player right now don't be kidding <laughs> <laughs> if, it, if it's cal perry tell him uh tell I him, look at, I'm the, call him I'm look at the area code is at 859 that's kentucky so i don't know pick There's it up no see place. if it's pick it up see if it's cal perry and then uh and you can talk to him we'll just keep rolling <laughs> no, no not many players are in Kentucky. I got to uh, ask you then about, about a guy that, that you didn't have, and and that's Lamar Odom. Is is yeah. that the is that the last home loss you had? It is. Okay, so so how many so how many in a row is that? It's over three hundred and fifty straight home wins. Yeah. Okay. The and, Oak Hill and lost can, a home game in nineteen. 19- they lost in December of 1982 to uh, – it's a school that's closed now, Baltimore Cardinal Gibbons. They were like – what I was told, they were like number four in USA Day. Came down here, they beat Oak Hill by like one couple overtime. That was in 82. So then there was 15 straight years till the next loss, which would have been 97. And then they lost 20, – it's 22 years later, we still haven't lost, so – that's a great story on the game if you want to hear it. Yeah, yeah. So right, and so start with and and you've told me you've told me some of this story before and, and and part of it had to do with the 
like the night before, the game before, when you thought yeah. Lamar was going to play? So we play. We got him scheduled for Monday night. He goes to Redemptor's Christian, which is upstate New York, Troy, New York. And uh, I think it's a boarding school, private school. Anyway, they set up a game with us and somebody else. They were playing a team in Tennessee on – supposed to play them on Tuesday. So they had a two-game road trip down here. And uh, so on Monday, I'm trying to get – you know, it's 1997, still way back, and I'm trying to get a scout report on them coming in here because I know they got him and they're going to be pretty good. So uh, I'm calling around anyway. Well, I call Tom Kanchowski. And, you mm-hmm. know, Tom – Tom knows everything about anybody on the East Coast, especially from New York. So I call Tom, and I'm talking to Tom about uh, Lamar and the team and all. And uh, anyway, you know, he tells me what he knows. We play him Monday night. Lamar is awful. He does play in the game, but he is terrible. I mean, he does not – he's – I wish I'd pull a book out. But he did not score the first three quarters. He was scoreless. Scoreless going into the fourth quarter, and he scored nine points. So after the game, Tom said, you know, call me after the game. Let me know how the game went. So I called Tom, and I'm telling Tom about the game. And I, Rick Pitino was here that night recruiting Lamar Odom. Passed me in the hall at Oak Hill and said he wasn't recruiting any of my players that year. He said, I'm out of here. I'm not recruiting this guy. I mean, he was, he looked like he didn't care. I mean, that's how he played. So uh, I tell Tom, I said, he was terrible. And he goes, well, who was the best player? And I said, Raheem Johnson. He goes, Raheem Johnson? He goes, he's not on the roster. I go, yeah, he is. He goes, no, he's not. I was at the Main Central Invitational this weekend. He was the MVP for Main Central. I go, well, I'm telling you, he played Sunday night with O'Kill, and he had 29 points. And he, he said, are you sure it's the same guy? And I spelled his name. He said, what you look like? And I told him, I said, he's like six, seven, six, eight, big body, like 240. He goes, left hand. He goes, that's him. He goes, well, he, goes he played Saturday night for Main Central. Well, I didn't know because, you know, this is in the old days. That guy must have – so apparently here's the story. Tom goes, well, I'll tell you why Lamar didn't play well. Lamar didn't want to go to Main Central this year because Raheem was there and he didn't want to play with him. So when that kid showed up, I guess he left Redemptor's Christian Saturday night after that – I mean, you know, Main Central after that game Saturday night. I think he got in some trouble. They take him over at uh, Redemptor's Christian the next day and he gets in the van and rides down with the team. He's never been to a practice. Well, Lamar didn't want to play with him, obviously, because he didn't want to play with him there. So he didn't want to play with him Monday night. So we ended up winning the game by like 30 points. Tuesday night, they go to Tennessee, and the game gets canceled. The coach calls me and says, Coach, we came all the way down here for one game. Can we play you on the way back? And I'm like, oh, yeah, we'll play you on the way back. I mean, we just beat you by 30. I didn't say this to myself. So mm-hmm. they show up Tuesday night. Well, they come in about 1 o'clock. They want to have a shoot around. They want to have a study hall. Lamar sticks his head in my office door. And I'd known him uh, from the summer before, and he says, Coach, he said, it ain't going to be like Monday night. <laughs> I said, oh, it's not. You gonna I said, you going to play tonight? And he goes, I'm playing tonight. I said, okay. So I didn't think much of it. And he played. He had 39 points, and we lost by two. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and that's what happened. But good part of that story Wait, is Tim Avery, who played at Duke. You probably remember Will. Sure. Yeah, sure. We're down two, uh, eight seconds to go. We got a baseline out. We got to go length of the court. So it's a timeout. It's our last timeout. And I look at the officials and, you know, I mean, I'm pretty friendly with our guys around here. I mean, the head official standing there, I said, we're going to take you to the basket. You need to make a call. And the main official, he goes, Coach, we will call a foul. I said, all right. So I go in the huddle. <laughs> I go in the huddle. I tell Will, I go, Will, get it to the basket. We ran a little play to get him so he'd catch it on the run up the court, make sure he got there. I said, get it to the rim, go strong. 
you're going to get a call. You understand me? He goes, I got you, coach. So he takes it, and he's an All-American. Yeah. Donald's All-American. You're going to do. He drives it full court. He gets about where the old – back then it was a dotted line. He gets it to the dotted line, so he's like six feet. He kicks it to the corner to a guy. We're down two for a wide-open three. And I'm like, what are you doing? This guy catch it with about a second. I could tell in his eyes he did not want the ball. Uh, he did not want to take the last shot. He takes yeah. it, misses it. So when I get to the dressing room after the game, I'm like, Will, do you not understand what I told you in the huddle? I said, he goes, well, there wasn't anybody around me. I said, exactly. I said, it didn't matter. They're going to blow the whistle. They're going to call a foul. You're going to get an air one. Maybe we might win the game straight up. We might not even have to go to overtime. Lay <laughs> uh, the ball in. And they're going to call a foul. He goes, I didn't quite understand that. I said, no, I, you don't understand. Bud has refed every game in here for 18 straight years. We're going to get a call. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. You didn't understand your coach. Well, I said, maybe I didn't explain myself. I was so mad. <laughs> did, did Raheem Johnson play that night? Oh, yeah. But he wasn't the man. Lamar was, you know. Yeah. But they played together. I guess they had a. They must have had a little powwow, the two of them. Uh-huh. They both got them together and said, look, this is not good. And because uh, they, they, and Raheem was going to USC, Southern Cal. I mean, he was a big-time player. It wasn't – so they had Lamar. They had him. They had – I don't remember the other guys, but, I mean, their whole first five was Division One. But that's the only game we lost. It wasn't even on the schedule till I re, you know, till I added it. So, uh, it's my fault. If I hadn't done it, we it'd be uh, 30 – seven-year win streak <laughs> it's like the only thing in your career that's your fault right is that is that it'd be great to retire one day and say you never lost one home game wouldn't it now i gotta say i lost a home game <laughs> yeah but you got a great you got you got a great story for the hall of fame speech that's for sure that but is it sounds true. great when you say you lost one it sounds great oh yeah coach when i know you've been asked many times about the best team you've had and your your team in 8990 yeah. was your first undefeated team and then yeah. but in 9293 you have four nba players jeff mcginnis mark blunt mactar Enjai, and and jerry stackhouse i'm curious just how much that team sort of changed the trajectory of of oak hill that this famous squad and also just stackhouse in general what it was like to to watch him come come through the program and that was definitely I mean, 1990 was an unbelievable team, um, and we, you know, we were. There were people who said, "Oh, that's the best team in the country," but we weren't number one. I guess we didn't have the rep yet. Uh, they that year they had um, Martin Luther King from Chicago. They put them in front of us, which I thought if we played them, we'd have beat them. But you know, back then you didn't play as much of a national scale as you do now, so we didn't have the opportunity to play. But by far, no question, 92, 93 was the team that like put Oak Hill on the map uh, with the players that we had, Stackhouse. Um, again, we had we had two Division One players at every position. I mean, I had backups at every position that were Division One. We never had that before. We never had that many players that were that level. Um, I mean, I had Mark Blunt came off the bench. He backed up Mactar Njai, who started <laughs> at Carolina. Um, Tavares Johnson, who was the most valuable player at Xavier, two years. He backed up Alex Sanders, who played at Louisville. Um, Sunshine Smith from Las Vegas backed up. Um, he played for UNLV. He was from Christ the King. And he's all world in New York City. He's backing up Jeff McGinnis at the point, And I played him off the ball at the two so to keep his minutes, to keep him happy. So 
and then Stack was at the three. Um, I had a kid that backed him up and went to Ole Miss. So, I mean, we had an unbelievable team. And then with Jerry's, uh, I mean, his, his exposure, I mean, he was, you know, he's coming from North Carolina. He was going to North University of North Carolina. He was supposed to be the next Michael Jordan. You know, I mean, it was just a coming together that happened in Malta Wilson that put Oak Hill basketball on the map. Everybody knew about us from that point on. The next year we were number one in the country again. Um, so it kind of steamrolled from that team. I mean, people always, my former players always try to say, who was your best team? I don't tell them, but it's hard. It would be hard to beat that team. <laughs> I don't know how you could get a high school team. I mean, I don't know any high school team. I mean, they talk about the the Dunbar, Baltimore Dunbar team, uh, mm-hmm. maybe some of the Dematha teams, um, you know, the New York teams, you know, I don't I don't know who they think the best team out of New York City. Tom Kinchak would definitely be able to tell you that one. But uh, it may be hard for us to have a better team than that that team. And, and that was 25, 26 years ago this year. So uh, Jeff McGinnis was a – I mean, for a point guard in high school, it was hard to find a guy to compete like he did, hated to lose. Stack hated to lose. All those guys, they were, they were grown men before the weight room was that important to anybody. These guys were like full-grown men out there. We looked like a college team. Um, I remember colleges coming in and going, yo, I take that team. We go to the final eight right now. <laughs> <laughs> we would be an elite eight team right now. I had more than one tell me that. I had a couple go, y'all could compete in the final four. I mean, that, that was that dominant of a high school team. I don't know if it was that good at that point. But if you had that team for four years, yeah. If you took those guys and I went to college, you probably won a national championship with that yeah. team. But, um, you know, three of them did go to Carolina and they went to the Final Four. Yeah. Um, Mac Tar, Jerry, and Touche went, and they were in the Final Four in Seattle. So, um, I mean, that was a great team, and uh, that did kind of put Oak Hill on the map. Are you going to be sending kids to Vandy now? Yeah, I talked to Jerry. Um, funny, because he walked up to me and goes, Coach, you got anybody who can do the work at Vandy? <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, I have had I, given years we do. I wouldn't say every year we do, but uh, I said times have changed. Um, you know, I've, most of my guys are good students now. Back in the day, the kids would come, you know, to play basketball here because they wanted to make sure they qualified. Mm-hmm. Now it's not. That's not why they come. They come for the exposure. They come for the schedule. They come for the competition. You know, they come to get uh, more scholarship offers. Um, and you're not coming here because they get great problems. We're college prep, and the school's been here 100. This is our 141st year, founded in 1878. Um, so, uh, but so it's changed through the years why kids come, and especially for the basketball team. But um, you know, I got I got honor students now. I got a couple that are definitely could get into Vandy. I just got to make sure they're good enough. I got a couple underclassmen, and uh, so hopefully I'll have guys good enough. I've had one kid go to Vandy. Shelton Mitchell went and he transferred. This was a few years ago. He went to Clemson, finished up there last year. So, uh, yeah, you do you do have to uh, have a little higher standard there. Um, some schools say that. It's not really true. <laughs> you know, you can get in there with whatever, the minimum. But the other student, the normal student can't. But now, Vandy, you do. Because uh, Shelton was easily a qualifier anywhere he wanted to go. And he, we had to work hard to get him in there because he wanted to go there. And, uh we had to do a lot of paperwork and send a lot of recommendations and all kinds of stuff to get him accepted there. So it, it is a little harder there, but Jerry will do a great job. He's a great coach, great motivator. He'll recruit players. So I think he'll do great. He's already got some kids in there that they haven't been getting. Got some transfers that are 
that are going to help him. So I, I think he'll do a great job there. That's just a hard job when you're in there with the SEC. My goodness. Mm-hmm. Um, you talking about Stackhouse just reminded me of something else before I want to ask you about uh, your own career. Stack is known in NBA circles as like the captain of the all back alley team. Is there is there anyone is there anyone that you would say that that's come through your program would say yeah he'd have a shot in the back alley against Stackhouse? Whew. I wouldn't want to meet him there. I tell you, in high school, everybody scared of him. <laughs> yeah. He was bigger and stronger in high school physically than he is now. I mean, he, I, I see him now. I'm like, man, what did you do to your body? I mean, he was a man in high school, and I mean, you could not guard him inside. You put him down low, and now he's a two guards, what he was in the NBA. And he played three for me and four at Carolina. He he literally played three for me, and he played the four at North Carolina. So. <laughs> Usually that doesn't happen. Usually you're no. playing center, center in high school, and then they get you in college. You can maybe play the wing or something. It's the dead opposite with him here. So, uh, but I mean, that, oh boy, he was a. I would not want to meet him in an alley. I wouldn't want to meet yeah. him in a in a lighted area even. <laughs> I thought you go, go with Stephen Jackson. Now Jack, Jack would fight him now. Not no question. I don't know if he beat him. But... <laughs> He's crazy enough to fight him. Jack's not going back down to anybody either. <laughs> Yeah, he's 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 crazy enough to fight him. What was the last? Yeah. Speaking of stack now, getting a college job. What was the last college job you were offered? Have not entertained or been offered a job since Louisville in about the late nineties. Huh. I'm from Kentucky, so now when I first, I was at Oak Hill two years. I figured I'd do what Larry did and be here two years and bolt. So I was here two years on vacation with my family in Hilton Head, and um, Cubby Smith left VCU called me, Cubby was an assistant, and said, uh, you want my job, it's yours. Mike Pellio is the head coach, he wants you. I flew, I left my family from Hilton Head, flew up there. Uh, it wasn't really an interview because he was offering me the job. You know, he's basically just sitting down and goes, you want the job? I said, give me a couple of days. Well, I didn't take it because I, I checked around. Tubby told me he had two years, and I checked around. I go, uh, Tubby, you sure? The word is he's on the hot seat. Well, he got fired in December. Uh-oh. <laughs> So I made a good move there. And then two years later, I almost went to Pitt twice, two years in a row. I almost went to Pitt like in 1990, 1991 with Paul Evans. Um, once again, I've never interviewed. I've gone and been offered jobs. Uh, I was offered a job at Oregon with Jerry Green, um, Louisville with Denny Crum. Um, but like I was, I was in 97, I think it was 97, I was going to take that job because I'm from Kentucky, and uh, I went down, met with uh, Jurich, the AD, played golf, looked at houses, called home, called my wife and said, hey, I think we're going to take the job. I didn't tell our kids. My kids were uh, a rising senior, my daughter, and a rising junior in high school. So when I get home, my wife meets me at the door and says, uh, because I basically told her I'm taking the job. And she says, it's in the summertime. She goes, you need to go talk to your daughter. She's in there crying. I'm like, what? Why? And I said, did you say something? And she said, no. She was on the other line. This is back in the day. We all had telephones, two or three in the house. She heard our conversation. Uh, <laughs> I said, oh, my word. So she was mad because we didn't tell her. And yeah. she's a cousin senior. You know, she's a cheerleader. She's homecoming court. She's all this. So I go in there, and she's crying like a baby, and we're going to leave my senior year. I said, no, 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 no. We got it worked out. I'm going to go to Louisville. 
I'm going to get a place down there. I'll find us a house. You're going to stay here in Independence, Virginia. You're going to get an apartment. It's all going to be taken care of. And my son's a junior. He's listening to the whole conversation. So he goes, so we're going to leave when I'm a senior. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> I was getting tag team. So uh, anyway, I'd end up not going. And I've never. And, and that, that, that was for the head job? That was assistant job with, with Danny okay. Crump. Got it. And I was 42 years old. And I said, well, I'm, I'm 42. I'm, and I'm watching, you know, I sit at my desk and watch the other side of the desk, and I see what these other guys got to do to get players and fly to Charlotte, North Carolina, get a rental car, drive two hours to Oak Hill, chase a kid they, that I'm sitting here knowing they got no chance of getting. And I'm thinking, that could be me over there. Yeah. <laughs> I'd never, ever entertained another job again um, after that. Now, like I said, I was 42 at the time. I'm like, well, I don't want to do that, you know. We got this thing rolling here pretty good. So, sure. And then we, we got it really going 2001, 2004, 5, 6, 7, all through there. We were one or two every year. Um, it's a little harder now, but I'm getting old too. I'll be 64 in two weeks. Amazing. You don't look it. When I get you, out? Yeah, well, because he's tan. When he's, he's right tan, now. it's 12 a year. <laughs> Well, coach, uh, coach, what about the NBA? Have you have you been offered any positions within the NBA? No, no, that would be a bad gig. But you know, be a scout or uh, you know, an NBA type job like that wouldn't be bad, uh, especially at my age. But no, I've never, I never talked to anybody about that. I I am I'm curious how the whole thing works in terms of you, you made reference to it earlier in the podcast, but but just how it works when you bring in these guys that are, I mean, Harry Giles, I know is the, f- the first number one player in the class that you, that you, that you had, but yeah. you always have guys in the top 10, top 20. So when they come in and another guy, I mean, you talked about it with the Rondo situation. Um, you know, another guy's thinking that it's his spot the, the upcoming year. How do you make this whole mesh work? And that's, that's what you've been so masterful at throughout, throughout your career. Yeah. I mean, it's, <clears throat> That's a big part of the job because, you know, they all want to play, obviously. Like this year's team, uh, there's only one player, <clears throat> if you count sophomore, junior, seniors, whatever. There's only one guy that I think won't play Division One. So now you've got all these guys on one team. They're Division One players. They all want to play. They all want to start. Um, but I try to get a mix of, of underclassmen and seniors, um, you know, that I think will fit. It's still not – you're still not going to keep everybody 100% happy. Last year I had uh, I had two players in 34 years go home on their own, two. Now, I've sent kids home, several, <laughs> but two came in and said, I got to go, coach, can't do it. I'm not starting, I'm not playing, whatever. I had three last year in one year. So that tells you how times have changed. I had three come in, one after the first scrimmage, and he definitely was going to start. I'm not going to name any names, but he was going to start, but I told him, I'm going to start different lineups for all three of our scrimmages. Well, he, he couldn't understand that he didn't start in the first scrimmage, but he was definitely starting the next scrimmage. But I didn't even tell him that when he told me he was going to leave. I said, go ahead and leave. I said, because you obviously don't have what, what it's made of to make it here and play for us and play for me. So he left. Another one left after the second scrimmage. And then the last one left after the third scrimmage. So they <laughs> left. All three D1 players, they all base it on a scrimmage or or a couple of scrimmages. So – because of the mentality is a little different. So 
Now I had to look in the mirror and go, did I say something? Did I do anything? Am I different than I was two years ago, five years ago? Uh, you know, I try to change with the times, um, the way we do things, the way we play. You know, I'm not that old school. I'm not. I try to get my team in here, watch them for about a week, and then we decide what we're going to do on offense and defense. I don't say – I know most coaches coach a style. We do like to play fast, but it depends. And we, some years we'll take a lot of threes. Some years we won't. It depends on our personnel. So, I mean, I think I do a good job of getting to know these guys, understanding them, being able to relate to them. Um, you know, you got to be a little bit of a shrink sometimes and convince them, hey, 12 minutes – Playing here and going against this guy in practice every day is going to make you better. And you're not, you know, especially if he's not a senior, you can, I think you can convince most of them, look, you're here to get better. You know, the games are gravy. Yeah, you want to play. Yeah, you want to be the guy and all that, but we're not all going to be the guy. And and I do try to play at least early in the year, too. I'll play 10 guys almost equal. Now, when it gets nutcracking time, I'm not playing 10 just to play 10. I'm going to try to win the game, obviously. So, um, you know, you'll get to a eight, nine-man rotation. By the end of the year, you might be at a seven-man if it's a big game. So, uh, but, but late in the year, usually it's easier then. You know, they guys kind of know their role. They've, you've, you've told them their role. They've fit into their role. They've been with their guys, the team. They're happy. So it's just early on it's tough. Like last year I noticed, I mean, you play a scrimmage and the guy leaves. You play another scrimmage and the guy leaves. You play the third scrimmage and the third guy leaves. I'm like, are you kidding me? I thought we had by far – one of the best teams we've ever had last year in September. In November, we didn't because those three guys left. And, uh, you know, one's at Texas Tech, one's at Oregon. Uh, the other one's a senior this year. So, I mean, they were all high-level players. But they they could not handle Cole, Cam being the leading scores. Cam being a junior, Cole being a senior. You know, and Kofi, you know, at times, you know, I had them – we had to get Kofi shots, a big center who went to Illinois, to make sure he was where he needed to be mentally. Uh, but, I mean, I had one of the best backcourts I've ever had. But it's hard for guys to accept, oh, that guy's going to get 20. I'm not getting 20. Well, you're getting 15 and 10 rebounds. What do you want? <laughs> you're, playing, you're playing an old kill. You're, and you're practicing against a Division One guy every day. What do you – I don't know what you want. You know, right. if, that's not good, if that's not good enough, go home. That's, you know, maybe we're not the place for you. So, you know, that's – it's a little different than it was. Um, like I say, I'm getting to be 64, and I'm going to be retiring soon, and maybe it's good. Maybe, you know, I'll, I'll remember the old days. Uh, I remember all the days, but I remember the old days and how things used to be. And, um, you know, there's more guys around these kids. There's more mentors, trainers. They've all got a personal trainer. they all got a personal workout guy. They've all got uh, summer coaches. Uh, the families are more involved. <clears throat> the one thing I like from the new days from the old days is I don't have to handle the recruiting like I used to. I mean, I was the guy back in the 80s and 90s. I would go home at 7 o'clock after practice and be on the phone till midnight every single night. It was r- ridiculous. Mm. All these co- I'd have seven Division One guys and five or six schools recruiting. That's 40 schools calling me every night Jeez. because I was the contact person in – I'm not the contact person anymore. I'm the only thing I'm contact for. Coach, we're coming in. I'll see you on the 9th. See you on the 10th. Uh, <laughs> what weekend can we visit them? They, uh, they don't recruit me. They recruited me before, and they put the heat on me to get the player. So I made a few enemies, I'm sure. 
that part I don't miss at all. Um, now, I do have a couple kids from, you know, on occasion, year to year, they'll say, Coach, I need to know what you think. You've been around a long time. And I do know these coaches. I said, I know the coaches. I know the style of play. I can find out if they got guys sitting out. I can find out who they recruited. You know, I can I can tell you what I because I always tell them the style of play and the opportunity to play are the two most important things because you all want to play as a freshman. Right. If you go and they got three point guards and they got two sitting out and they don't tell you. You, you know, you're screwed. And, but I can find all that out if they. But I don't ever tell them where to go anymore. I don't want them to call me and when they're sophomores and say, Coach, why'd you tell me to go to this school? <laughs> I leave it up to them. I tell them it's on you and your family, and if it's not your family, it's whoever it else, whoever your mentors are. That's fine, and uh, I'm not going to be the guy. I don't want you calling me complaining. I'll give you guidance. If you ask me for guidance, I'll give you guidance because that's my job, and I owe that to you. But, um, you know, back in the day, it was, whew, you talk about the heat now. You put the heat on me, something fierce. <laughs> I thought you my guy. I am your guy. You just don't want to go there. I can't help <laughs> Coach, Coach, last one for me. Um Look, you you uh, talk about giving guidance. Can you give us some guidance? Uh, Greg Anthony's son, as you just mentioned, Cole Anthony and and Cam Thomas, for people that haven't seen those two guys play, your next your next superstars. Um, yeah. What are they all about? Cole is uh, <clears throat> the good thing about Cole. He competes so hard. Um, he's not a spoiled guy. He's not entitled. I mean, his dad's Greg Anthony. I mean, he's been he's been Cole Anthony all world since whatever eighth grade, and of course he's always Greg's son, Greg's son. Which I don't know, he loves his dad, but I think he wants to be Cole Anthony, and Greg wants him to be Cole Anthony. And he plays so hard. He was the hardest working kid in practice last year, and I was worried about him because he's he gets a little injury prone because he's diving on the floor, he's taking charge. I'm like, yo, you gotta, like, you gotta go easy a little bit sometimes because you're a guy, you know. I can't have you getting hurt. But that's how he plays. He only knows one way to play. I mean, the guy averaged 10 rebounds a game as a point guard last year. 10. He averaged seven defensive rebounds a game. He was our leading defensive rebounder. He's a wow, point guard. So he's just going to go get it because he don't trust anybody else. He's like, I got to go get it. I don't trust this guy or that guy. I got to get the ball. We want to win the game. I mean, he wants to win so bad. And uh, I mean, he's <clears> – plus he's talented. He's so athletic. He's physically ready to go. Um, I mean – you know, the players they've had at Carolina, and I've had a couple of assistants tell me, this guy does stuff in practice we've never seen before. So, I mean, they're – and they've had everybody down there. So, he, you know, he's at that level. He's a phenomenal player. I don't see anything that will stop him besides injuries because he's he's mentally strong, too. He's not – I mean, he's got his head on straight. He knows where he wants to go. Um, he's he's he, he can shoot lights out, too, from the point position, which is big in the NBA now. Um you know, the day of just having a guy come down and throw the ball and run to the corner, they they like scoring point guards. So, um, I love scoring point guards. He he is that. So he he's he's a he have a great year at Carolina. And <clears throat> Cam is a high volume guy, and that guy can score in bunches. Um, I tell him he's I don't tell him I tell everybody he's like a he's like a six three Kobe Bryant. I mean he gets <clears throat> Kobe's his hero, so he watches every move Kobe's ever made. Um, so he's got to step back, and I mean he's got the jab series, which nobody does anymore. But he's got all this stuff, footwork, and he, I wish he was taller. I tell everybody if he was six seven, it would be obscene what he could do on the floor. But um, you got to get him to buy into guarding a little bit. But he can be a good defender. 
he just you know he doesn't do it every possession, but he he's got to in the in the future obviously, and he needs to for us this year. And uh, but he can score the ball like and he averaged thirty almost thirty a game this spring EYBL. He averaged was his leading scorer. He was leading scorer at the Peach Jam. He averaged like twenty seven, twenty eight a game. Uh, he takes two or three shots he doesn't need to take. I told him I said you could take two or three shots out of your shot arsenal every game and have the same average, same point average. He looked at me, smiled. He goes, I know. I said, because you force up two or three. I said, you just take those out of there. And he has heat checks on occasion. You know, if he bombs like a 20-footer, then he's going to bomb a 22-footer. And he makes that, then he's going to – the next one down, he's going to try to shoot 25-footer. So, you know, he'll, he'll take a shot like that that he doesn't need to take. Uh, problem is sometimes it goes in. <laughs> And he'll look at you like, yeah, okay, coach. And uh, so, you know, it's hard, but um, we need him to score this year, obviously. And, you know, he I don't know any two-guard out there that can score like he can. There may be some that are more physically gifted. Maybe they're taller. Um, you know, he's he's kind of point guard size at being 6'3 now. But he's really worked on his body. He's strong. Uh, he doesn't get knocked off the ball. I mean, he knocks you off the ball now. And he's when he gets to the hole, he gets hit and finishes um, – He's really, really, really good offensively. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys back in uh, Springfield, Missouri, at the Bass Pro Tournament of Champions in in January to see Cam and uh, and, all, and all your guys. Um, last one, Coach. It's called the Catch and Shoot Podcast, so we always end with this catch and shoot situation. And I and I was there for, I was there for the one in. In 2016, with uh, with Ty Alexander, with Tyshawn Alexander, with that buzzer beater yeah. in the corner, when you yeah. guys were uh, when you beat um, you beat Sierra Canyon, and now Sierra Canyon's got LeBron's kid and Dwayne Wade's kid, yeah. uh, and, that, and that was and that was a really good team that year. But that was a catch and shoot situation. So give me your of all the guys you've coached, your all time catch and shoot situation, game on the line. Where's the ball going? Ooh, you want the player's name? Yeah. <laughs> Oh man! Uh, and then not not like a, a one-on-one situation, like a. He didn't ask your best shoot. player. It's, I didn't uh, ask for your best player. No, just I know catch that. And shoot. Or your favorite, or your favorite. I, I I know it's not the kid that William Avery kicked it out to. I know it's not him. No, it's not him. <laughs> <laughs> not him. I never saw a guy with eyes that wide in my life. But uh, <laughs> I, my guy would be Ty Lawson. Game okay. On the, game on the line, Ty Lawson. That'll and work. He, I coached him for two years, so you'd have to see it. Uh, I saw it every day in practice. I saw it every game. Uh, that guy was a winner. And uh, if the game's online, he's he going to either get to the foul line or get you a basket. I mean, he and he's about six foot, a little tank, but he was the quickest thing I ever saw with a ball, too. I mean, he was that guy would run by five guys on a made shot two or three times a game, make a layup. Um, but he was a gamer. I mean, I could – I mean, if I looked at my wall here with all the guys on the wall here, the pictures of the plaques, um, I'd probably come up with other, other guys. But Ty always comes to mind. Because when people ask me about point guards, I always say, Ross Rick and Ty Lawson. They're like, what? And they don't. They think I'm crazy. But I'm, saying, I'm just telling you. I mean, Rondo's great. You know, these other guys are great. I'm just telling you, in high school, I'll mm-hmm. take those dudes to war anytime. <laughs> All right, and if I want someone standing over a 15-foot putt to win the FedEx Cup, it, uh, it might be you. Might be you. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. So, so, uh, wait, so school started today. When are you getting back out on the golf course? Depends on what putter I'm using. Um, uh. 
I will play this weekend. I'll play this weekend, I'm sure. Good, good. All right, I, don't, yeah. I don't want your game getting rusty. Coach, we really appreciate all the time. I'm looking forward to seeing you again in January, and I'll speak to you soon. All right, thank you for having me. That was dope. <laughs> Just another guess that we could go five days. It's almost like I, it's almost like talking to Larry Brown. It is. It is. That's what it's like. And his recall is, is phenomenal. And, and again, what, you know, you write down so many topics that, that you want to make sure that you try to get to, but it's impossible to get to a lot of those topics. And then you then you play off of where the stories are headed. I mean, we, we didn't even talk O2 LeBron Mello or ask him who's the guy that, you know, even did you ever think that you had a shot of getting LeBron uh, or who's the guy that you thought you were going to get that, that you never, that you never got. And then that could lead into another story, but he's, he, he's a, he's a terrific interview mostly because his, I mean, he's a very affable guy, but his recall is terrific. It's, it speaks to just a, the length of his career and, and B just how much he's transformed basketball in a way. And that's why he deserves to be in the hall of fame. I mean, what Oak Hill has done and, and for better or worse, like just how it's changed uh, the complexion of, of, of high school basketball and, and thus the college and, and the NBA. I mean, I was actually at the, the LeBron Mello game. I remember how big that was in, in Trenton, New Jersey. And also, um, I, the one time I had interviewed Coach Smith prior to this was when he had, he mentioned him, Jagana Jop. And it's so mm. funny. Like, you go down the list of players that, that he's had through the years. I mean, what was it? 35 NBA players, 32 McDonald's All-Americans. And there are a bunch of guys we didn't even get to. And Jop was a guy who left high school goes to the NBA straight from high school and he's not even really a topic of our discussion. Like that's, that's incredible to me. Guys like Quinn Cook, Steve Blake, um, you know, Nolan Smith, Marcus Williams. Like we didn't even go into any of those guys. And it's, it's incredible. Just speaks to like how much talent he's had in that program and how much his kids love him and guys love to play for him and the success that he's had. It's, it's, I don't think there's any other story that's, that's ever been like that in high school athletics. No, I mean, it's, 1,151 wins and 77 losses, and the only home loss in like 350 games was the was that crazy Lamar Odom story. Yes, that's that's stupid. Stupid. So, so the, the game I was referring to on that catch and shoot was so January 16th, 2016. It's over Martin Luther King weekend. It's the Bass Pro Tournament of Champions, and I've been doing it, calling doing play by play for CBS Sports Network. Now I think this is I think this might be year nine, and I've seen. You know, Sierra Canyon, and we joke now about, oh, who's this Sierra Canyon school? But I mean, Sierra Canyon's been there a few times, most notably with Marvin Bagley. So they were in the finals with Cody Riley, who was at UCLA, and yes. then was you know, famously part of the, the group that got in trouble over in China. That night, he had 18 and 15 in the championship game. Remy Martin, another one of your Pac-12 guys. Yeah, ASU. Uh, Deverell Ramsey, I think, I think he might have gone to Nevada. Oh, I don't now. Now I'm blanking. Adam Seiko, I think, was at uh, San Diego State, maybe, and um, and Terrence McBride, I think, went Ivy. But on that Oak Hill team was Matt Coleman at Texas, Braxton Key, who I think started at Alabama, may have gone somewhere else. Mario Kegler went to Virginia. He was part Virginia, of Virginia, right? This year. Right, Mario Kegler, I think, he was at Mississippi State. Lindell Wingington at, at Iowa State. 
yeah. on that team. So Lindell Wiggins in Iowa State that night played 14 minutes, 0 of 6. Okay. <laughs> That's insane. Uh, Devontae Schuler, who's at uh, who's at Ole Miss, and then Ty and then Tyshawn Alexander, who they won at the buzzer, at the buzzer, and. Did CBS Sports Network use the call? No. Did, did they promote it on social? No. But whatever. Another, that's another. <laughs> who's, who's better? Though? Um, who's better? Exactly. It, it just. I mean, it made no sense. I mean, this is. You know. So, and he hit all of his. Uh, he went five of nine from the floor. I'm looking at the box score right now, and all all the shots were threes. He went five of nine from three, in, in 23 minutes, and hit the shot in the corner to win it. Did Did Wigginton yeah. start? As you're looking on that box score, he was the Big 12 Sixth Man of the Year. So this past season, yeah, he started. So yeah, he started, but he yeah. played. Yeah, he played. I just didn't know if he was the night. Sixth Man. That's it, it's insane. Tyshawn Alexander was the Sixth Man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's great that you know the coaches. He's he's willing to talk and and willing to share these stories. He was, uh, yeah, fantastic, and I'm glad that we were able oh. just to pull him off pull him off the golf course. Special interview. For, uh, Special. Yeah, well, that's the key. I'm glad, <laughs> glad we were able to do that. Uh, what's uh, what's entertaining you this week? Uh. Look, I know I know a lot of people have discussed it, but the but the Sterling affairs. Um, I think I, I finally got a chance to listen uh, to all five parts, and I just thought uh, the job that uh, Ramona Shelburne and con- company did um, it was incredible. I mean, they tried to make Shelly Sterling a sympathetic figure. Uh, I think failed on that front. Um, I I don't have much sympathy for Shelly Sterling, but but all in all just really fascinating as people that love stories about the NBA and this inside stuff and hear from the horse's mouth and all the interviews they got. I just thought it was really well done. It was, it's really cool to hear um, some stories, especially when you already know the story and you get to dive a little bit deeper or things you may have forgotten. I always think that's pretty cool. So um, yeah, that's been the big one for me. How about you? Impractical jokers. It's a great show. Yeah, something deep on the uh, on the podcast level. Impractical jokers. So, and I, I've been on it, and it made me laugh last night. And I was texting you. They're doing this Tino Martinez bit, and it was <laughs> Q had to rip up pictures and ruin the autographs of people that just came from the autograph table with Tino Martinez at this bar. And it was was so great. That was his punishment. And so if you haven't seen the show, it's always a joke around NCAA tournament time. Oh, where's true TV. Oh, it's the one time a year. True TV is on. Like, it's just, it's it's so predictable and dumb. And I remember watching impractical jokers i didn't know what it was and it was on in my hotel room this was the 2012 final four if if i'm getting all these dates right 2012 final four in new orleans when anthony davis won it at kentucky and i came back to my hotel room and it's just on and it it was just on one after another and it was like two o'clock in the morning and so i watched i think i watched like six of them and i am crying laughing and still it's these four guys from staten island who play practical jokes on each other and they're all in it and they've got to do what the other one is told or else they lose the challenge. And it's, it's brilliant. Some episodes like just like anything else better than others, but if you need a laugh in practical jokers, true TV, spend a half hour with it. And if it's not a great one, watch another one. Just trust me. Yes. Yes. My uh, buddy of mine was like executive producer for that. So shout out to Brandon Stern, my college roommate. Yeah, well, so really did, did some nice work. Yeah. Yeah, he, it's, he, uh, never played, he never played jokes on you. No, no, and in fact, I mean, he was the 
furthest thing from it. I'll, I'll have to tell some some stories of some pranks that I played in college. How about we do that next episode? That's a teaser for next episode. I have a college a prank a prank that we pulled uh, in college that I don't know if I should be proud of. I don't even know if I'm allowed to tell it on. Ah, yeah, sure, I'll tell it on the podcast. It's Is this like fun. a statute of limitations thing that has passed? Sure, I just don't know if it'd be appropriate, but. Uh, uh yeah let's call it that let's say everything's okay if it happened before 2000 right so whatever showing my (laughs) age well um yeah whatever i I mean i'll tell some like just silly ones um yeah i could tell yeah i could tell a few silly ones that that don't involve uh this was good it was in good no it was in good fun nobody nobody got hurt uh it was it was it was in good fun it's actually very funny story so all right, you want to do the thank yous? Yeah, I think we should thank our producer, Scott Turkin. Our uh, super producer, Bruce Bernstein, was not in attendance today, but I still no want to show. thank him for no everything. No show. Gets, gets fine for being late. We're, we're docking him half a pod salary. Yes. Uh, our editor, Ben Wolfen, who's got a lot of work mm-hmm. to do this week now, Noah, to uh, edit yes. down this, this podcast. we got to condense no, it. Edit. We went five hours don't, with don't, Coach Smith. Don't edit anything. Edit no. Um, <laughs> and... <laughs> And the rest of the uh, Pure Hoops Media team. Also, we've got other podcasts. It's not just Catch and Shoot, which, of course, people need to download, of course, which they've done, uh, but subscribe. They also should be writing a review for what we do. Five stars. That's the only way that you'll comment. And, um, yeah, but we do have other podcasts, though, at Pure Hoops Media, though, We do. Uh, The Mike Wise Show. Also, Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt. And Mike Wise, of course, the longtime journalist, Washington Post, New York Times, ESPN, Monica McNutt, a, a great personality, and also Eric Newman and NBA champion BJ Armstrong on the Pure Hoops podcast. So yes, we're only gonna read the five we're only gonna read the five star reviews. So I'm gonna read the I'm gonna read the latest one. Okay. okay. Yep. So this is from Smokey four twenty. They oh. came in on August twenty fourth. All right. It's Friday. And all right. So he writes, man, Adam knows this stuff. Some of these podcasts are legend, especially if you like listening to guys from the past. The LeBron Telfair story is great. So thank you, folks, Smokey420. And if you like the Telfair story, it was, you know, Steve Smith, Oak Hill head coach, just told another one with uh, with Rondo and getting recruited by uh, the University of Louisville. That was incredible. So we'll tie, we'll, so we'll tie it all back together. All right, pal. Go. Enjoyed it. Thank you. And uh, we'll do it again next week. All right. Great talking to you. The Catch and Shoot podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.